we are continuing our series on guardrails. And as we've talked before, guardrails are important. But in case you weren't sure, there's a, there's a definition of guardrails. We're going to go with the one that the Cambridge University Dictionary put together. I like this one. It's a, it's a bar along the edge of something steep, which has dire consequences, uh, such as stairs or cliff, to prevent people from falling off. To prevent people from falling off. And guardrails to serve, purpose, to serve two purposes that we've talked about. They direct and they protect. So they direct traffic and they protect traffic. And guardrails are also placed in the safety zone. Guardrails are in the space where if you bump into them, you're not off the bridge yet. That's the best part about them. Because if you bumped into a guardrail but it was in the Potomac, that's not going to help you. If you bump into a guardrail when you're and you're already in the ditch, that doesn't help. You want to try to prevent from going off the bridge, prevent from coming hitting, hitting oncoming traffic, and stay away from going into the ditch. So guardrails are always placed in the safety zone, so they take up a little bit of that safety space that we have. They make it a little uncomfortable for us, but they are so important. And as we found out a few weeks ago, culture doesn't encourage guardrails. In fact, culture prefers you to have painted lines. They want you and want us to just say, have these little pithy sayings that we just say, you know, that, that makes us feel better, right? Especially when they put them on commercials. You feel much better when it's on a commercial than you do if you actually apply it to your life. But they are encouraged with painted lines, easy to cross over. We don't have to worry about just kind of cross over, weave in and out of them. It's not a problem, no harm, no foul, no issues at all. They're just kind of suggestions if we're being honest with ourselves. And today's topic is going to make everybody uncomfortable including the pastor. I do not like talking about the stuff that I have to talk about today because it, it's just uncomfortable, but it is so, so important. In fact, this is maybe one of the most important guardrails. It could be the one that saves your career. A few weeks ago, or last week, we talked about friends, right? We talked about the importance of our friends and putting guardrails in and who we allow around us and who we allow, you know, to be kind of in our inner circle. We learn that brainwaves kind of line up and stuff like that. But this week, we're going to talk about friends with benefits. We're going to talk about your romantic relationships. We're going to talk about sex, y'all. Who's excited? Yep, me too. Me too. No, for real, we're going to talk specifically today about how you guard your marriage and not only that, how you guard yourself. And again, everybody's like, man, why did I pick this Sunday to attend? Like, come on, why did I pick this Sunday? But it's important. It's important because nowhere does culture do a better job of baiting us to the edge than in this place, than in this place. Because, let's be completely honest, culture does a great job of tempting us and bringing us to the edge. Because half the books you read, the TV shows you watch, some of the podcasts you listen to, the radio shows, they are about glorifying half the time, and almost all of them, you can find them glorifying sex outside of marriage. You can find it in almost any TV show. I mean, you can't turn on anything on Netflix anymore, it feels like, and it be honoring that commitment between a husband and wife, but instead it's sitting in the other direction. And what happens when we do this? When, when somebody actually does that, when they actually cheat on their husband or they actually cheat on their wife or they fall off the rails as it relates to the romantic relationship, what happens? It falls completely apart. And we sit back and we are, we are taken aback by it. We're like, how on earth? How dare they? How could they? How could this person have this type of thing? How could they make that decision? All, culture 
will absolutely tear them apart. But in the meantime, produce TV shows and books and everything else that glorifies it. But then when somebody falls off the rails, you're like, oh my gosh, I can't believe, don't look, don't look, it's horrible. I can't believe it. And it's true because when, what do we, how do we feel when our leaders have this type of situation? I mean, we just, it's a full stop. They're not qualified. Get them out of there, right? But yet we, we're, we're so lax and relaxed when it comes to what we consume all the time. So this is important today. And if we get this right, if we get this right, if we get this right, there will be more complete families, less kids in the foster care system, fewer unhealthy marriages and unhealthy relationships. There will be more stable households. There will be better marriages, better churches, better schools. There will ultimately be a better world if we can figure out how to get this guardrail in place. But culture is not going to encourage this one. Culture is going to press against it every step of the way, sometimes actively, sometimes passively, just by the existence of it. And Paul speaks about the importance of this. He makes a, he makes a point to the church in Corinth. And when he opens his letter, the part we're going to jump into, this particular section, he's quoting something that they, he's heard them say, or quoting a Gnostic saying of the day, which was, I have the right to do anything. Which, I mean, come on, we hear that all the time, right? We hear that all the time today in culture. I have the right to do anything. You absolutely do. You absolutely have the right to do just about whatever you want as long as you're not hurting or killing somebody else, right? We don't argue with that. But we also would not argue with Paul's next point. Not everything's beneficial. Just because you can doesn't mean you should. That's his point, the point he's making to the Corinthian church. He says, I have the right to do anything. But then he continues, he says, but I will not be mastered by anything. Which means if you're not careful and you, you go ahead and you keep saying yes to whatever it is, he's not even talking about sex yet. He's just saying like, hey, if you start saying yes to things a bunch of times, guess what? That will eventually become a master in your life. And he's fighting this popular saying of the day because what had happened is the church in Corinth was mixing and matching when it came to their religion. They were like, yeah, yeah, no, we want the salvation of Christ. And Paul's like, awesome, great, you want salvation of Christ. But we like the, the, the temple prostitutes. And Paul's like, hold on a second, you can't do that. And they're like, but we have the right to do anything. And Paul's like, you absolutely do. Not everything is beneficial. Not everything is for your benefit. Not everything is good for you. Sure, you can do it, but it's not good for you, is his point. And um, he was also addressing the idea that, uh, and this was a common belief, that the physical and the spiritual and emotional were all in separate arenas. In fact, if you go back to the great Greek philosophers, that's really how they thought. It was an idea that the physical was one place, the spiritual was another, and the emotional was somewhere else, that they were not interconnected with your behavior and they were not interconnected with anything else. They were just kind of floating out there. And Paul is driving right towards that problem. And he's like, no, 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 you don't understand. There is a connection. There is a problem. And if your physical does affect your emotional and your emotional does affect your physical, there is a connection. And then in verses 13 and 14, he gives us an actual example of this where he talks about food and the stomach and things like that. It's like, all right, cool, cool. And then he makes us all uncomfortable with the next phrase, the next phrase in this letter. And these aren't the ones that are on your coffee mugs. 
right? These aren't the ones you're going to wear in a t-shirt to school or the ones you're going to wear in a t-shirt to church, but they're in your Bible, and they make us uncomfortable, and sometimes we skip over them. But the truth is we have to acknowledge them. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ himself? Paul's making a point. Do, do you not know? You're going to hear that phrase, do you not know, which implies they probably didn't understand. He says, shall I take then the members of Christ and unite them with a prostitute? To which all of us are like, never! Of course not, Paul. What is wrong with you? And he goes, okay, yeah, no, you're right. Do, do, you, not, do you not know that he who unites himself with a prostitute is one with her body, meaning one with, with her for it is said the two will become one flesh, and he's pointing back to the, to the creation in Genesis and to what Jesus affirmed, that sex is meant to be between a husband and a wife, full stop. That's the appropriate context for it. He's trying to get them to understand that there's not a division between the two. People, people at this time, and let's be honest, it's happening again today, where people start to feel like, that, oh, well, it's just physical. It doesn't matter. It's just physical. Nobody's hurt by it. Nothing's affected by it. I mean, come on. It's just physical. It's not a big deal. It's whatever. It's not. Look, pastor, you are getting way too up in this. It's not a big deal. But Paul's making the point that it affects the entire person, that sex involves the entire person. And some of you are like, yeah, that's my favorite part. You can laugh. It's okay. All right, I know we're all like, oh my gosh. He is talking about, I can't believe this. Look, talk to Paul. He wrote it first. I'm just saying what he said. All right, y'all got a problem. Write a letter to Jesus. He'll write back. All right, so here, here's the other point, the other point that he's making in, in creation, like th that it's meant for husband and wife. Any sexual, activ sexual activity outside of the confines of that is dangerous is his point. That's what he wants us to see. It's dangerous. It's not the way God intended it. It's not the way that it was set up. It's not safe. It's like, it's like this. It's like this. This is a lighter. And when I light it, nobody's afraid. None of you are concerned. If I take this lighter and I put it in this candle that hopefully doesn't set off the fire alarm, nobody's concerned nobody's afraid. None of you are like, oh my God, Pastor, a little, a little candle, we need to get out of here. There's fire in the building. Nobody's like that. But now if I take it to that curtain, some of y'all are like, I'm out. Like the minute you get close to that, I'm out. Pastor, I ain't sticking around, right? The, the point is, is that when it's in its appropriate place, it's fine. We're not concerned. And it's safe. It's safe. It even serves a purpose. I mean, it gives off a nice smell. When the power goes out, it gives you lights, right? It serves a purpose. But now I'm not going to light a fire in my house just because the power went out because I'm going to burn the whole house down. And the Apostle Paul's point is the same, that it's, it's, it's in the confines between a husband and a wife that it is the most safe for it. And it serves the purpose. Intimacy between a husband and wife serves the purpose that God created because it creates an emotional connection. Some people go, it's just physical, Brandon. Really because there's been scientific studies that came out in the last three years saying that there's an emotional connection formed when two individuals are intimate with each other. There just is. There just is. So we have to be careful. We have to acknowledge that that happens and that we should place guardrails in place. Because if we want to be careful, and I know we do, then it's got to stay in the right place. It's 
got to stay in the right place, in the right context, the way God created it. And when it's when the way God created it, it can serve the purpose, and it's great, and there's no problem, and we're not concerned. But the minute it comes out of there, and it's no longer in the fireplace, it's no longer in the candle glass, we have a problem. And maybe it won't burn you the first time, and maybe it won't burn you the second time, but it will eventually burn you. And if you're not careful, it could burn down everything you care about. And it is so important that we pay attention to that fact, that it has to stay in the space that God created it to stay. Now, I do not believe in soul ties, okay? Not teaching that theology. Don't believe in that at all, whatsoever, okay? Don't believe in that. If you've heard that on TikTok or one of those TikTok preachers or something, I'd, I'd like somebody to find some biblical uh, proof of that, but um, I'm not teaching that at all. I'm also not teaching somebody that had a situation forced upon them. Not that either. Paul's specifically talking about people who would go to a place and willingly do this. Not in another context. They would willingly give themselves up and make that connection with another individual. And let me be so clear, just so that I'm not misheard. There is nothing that can separate you from Jesus. There is nothing that you can do that will separate you, that will put you so far away that God's grace and Jesus cannot repair it. He can, and he will. There's some teaching as it relates to this that once it happens, you give a piece of your soul that you'll never get back. I don't believe that, because that means that our God's not big enough to repair something. And I don't know about you, but the Bible I read tells me something completely, completely different. That is a separate sermon. Anyway, given that analogy with the fire and how dangerous it is and how much we just know the pain and suffering that it can cause if we're not careful and it's not in the right confines, it makes sense why Paul writes his next part. He, the very next sentence he says is, therefore, flee from sexual immorality. Flee from it. Now, let me just pause for just a second here. And let me just ask you a question. You don't have to answer out loud, but maybe wrestle to the ground. Isn't that what every father wants his daughter to do? I mean, isn't that what every husband wants his wife to do? I mean, come on, isn't that what every big sister wants her little brother to do? I mean, come on, isn't that what every mom wants her son to do? No wonder our Heavenly Father writes it. No wonder our Heavenly Father inspired Paul about it. Because here's the thing, the reason why we feel that way, because we know the damage that it can cause when it's not in its proper place. He says, flee from sexual immorality. Another translation says, seek safety. That's the Greek word. It literally means seek safety from these things. And here's the tension that Paul is addressing, and it's a tension that we have to wrestle to the ground. Many of us, most of the time, if we're just being honest, right, it's just, we're just being honest, we prefer to flirt instead of flee from. We just kind of prefer to flirt with instead of free for, flee from. And I mean, isn't it true that half the time we're trying to figure out where the line of sin is? Don't we come up to that point where we're like, where's the line of sin? Is it here? Am I sinning if I cross it right there? Or is it like, if sin's right there, I can get right there, right? Like, I mean, I can get right, right there. Can I hang a toe? No, that's sin. Okay, so I'm going to bring it back. I'm going to hold right there. So like, but we do. We get right up to it and we say, well, where's the line? Where's the line? Brandon, I need the line. Where's the line of sin? 
And, and the apostles like, don't even think about it when it relates to this. I mean, to this you're talking about a fire. To this you're talking about something incredibly dangerous. To this, just flee from it. Don't even get close to the line. Because if you get close to the line, you're in danger. Don't get close to the line. Put a guardrail in. Flee from it. Make sure you stay far, far away from it. Now, this is not anti-sex, okay? So some people believe like, oh, Christians, they don't, they don't believe in that. No, we believe God created it, okay? We believe God created it. He put it in the garden, okay? I believe he probably was, you know, invented it, and then he looks at the angels and says, y'all close your eyes, but you're going to be so jealous, right? And then gives it, gives, it to the, gives it to Adam and Eve, and then the angels are just mad the rest of the time, like, are you kidding me? We got harps, and they got that, but that's different. But we believe God created it, and when it's in its proper place, it's great. It's phenomenal, serves a purpose, does exactly what it's supposed to, but when it's not, Paul says you should flee from it in all capacities, in all ways, in every shape and form. When it's not the way God intended it, the original formation of it, it's dangerous. And he even elaborates on it. He continues in the verse, all other sins a person commits are outside of the body, but whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. Because Paul wants us to know because this is the lie. This is the lie culture says, and this is the lie they, they, they heard. It's the lie that we hear today. It's just physical. Doesn't hurt you. Doesn't hurt them. Who cares? It's fine. As long as it's between two consenting adults, there's not a problem. Maybe there's not a problem legally in that regard. Maybe there's not even a problem morally in that regard. But there's a problem if you have Christ as your Savior because of who you are and what's inside of you. Not because of anything else. And we'll get to that more in just a second. But another part that we have to pay attention to, and you know this, you've walked this, you've been with people that have experienced this before. Sexual sin makes you a liar because you're not going to talk to your friends about it. You're going to put that away. You're not going to talk about it. You're not going to bring that to your group. You're going to hide it. You're going to keep it far away. And I mean, we know that because we experience it and see it all the time. Leaders have keep, kept things a secret forever, and then it comes out, and we're, we're blown away by the horrible things they've done. Well, you're probably not going to talk about it either. And on top of that, there's such a shame associated with it in culture today. Oh, I can't believe it. Oh, you did what? You, you, you do what? So we're not going to talk about it, and it makes us a liar for life. Paul continues. He drills down on the point. He says, do you not know? There it is again. Don't you know? Come on, guys, pay attention. You know this is his implication. You know this, that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit. Who is in you, whom you have received from God? And now for us, that doesn't mean a whole lot because we don't have any temples nowadays. We don't go to the temple or anything else. And you guys even hear me say all the time, especially to a church without a building, the church is the people, not the building. So for us, we sit back and we go, well, yeah, well, what's the point in that? Paul's saying, you know, the temple, they're sacred, right? It's like everybody in the Greek context would have been like, oh, yeah, we see a temple to Artemis and, and a temple to Jupiter and a temple over here. Yeah, yeah, we got it, like a sacred space, Paul. Yeah, yeah, a sacred space. I got it, I got it. And then Paul says, right, you're the sacred space now. You, your body is the sacred space. Yeah, 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 the pagans believe in the temples. And sure, that for Judaism, there was, temples for, there was a temple for a while, but now that has shifted. God withheld his Holy Spirit till his son came to die for you and then poured out his spirit upon you, 
on Pentecost. And when you accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, then the Holy Spirit comes to reside inside of you, meaning you have just been upgraded to the status of a holy space, a sacred place, where only sacred things happen. That you are fine-tuned, Paul would say, fine-tuned with intimacy with God and another person. That's one of the great things about it. You're not a mere mammal. You're not just walking biology, and neither is the person next to you. We're so much more than that. The Spirit of God resides inside of you. Now, I want to point out something. You know what determines the value of something on the open market today? Two things. The contents of something and who owns it. That drives the price of something more than anything is what's in it and who owns it. Case in point, your iPhone or your telephone, your, your cell telephone, what is this, 1990? Cell phone, goodness gracious, I just showed my age. I'm not used to doing that. Telephone. For those of you that are younger, they hang on the wall and they have the numbers. Anyway, your cell phone, your cell phone is like at minimum $1,000. Right, but probably closer to 1500 price point nowadays. Some of you go, I don't pay that much. Okay, it's 500, right? It's $500 at minimum, $500. You know why it's $500 or, or more, over 1000 and it's so small? It's because of what it contains. It's got technology, computer chips, ways to connect to the internet, all these different things, and what it's capable of doing. You're not paying just because of what's in it. You're paying for what it's capable of. Same way with your car, same way thing. You're paying for what they're capable of. Here's the other thing that drives it. It's ownership. Who owns it? Let me ask you this. A couple of weeks ago, or a couple of months ago, Steven Strasburg was down here pitching for the Fredericksburg Nationals. When he was down here pitching, they, they sold some of his jerseys, right? Well, a retail Steven Strasburg jersey goes from anywhere, if it's an official MLB licensed uh, uh, jersey, it goes from anywhere for $100 to $300, right? That's, a, that's an official licensed one that's been, you know, that Strasburg had. Now, if he wore it in a game, now if he owned it and he wore it in a game, just one, not a championship game, not a World Series game, nothing like that, just wore it one game, the value goes from a maximum of $300 to a minimum of $6,000 to a maximum of $20,000 in some cases, depending on when and how he wore it. If he wore it multiple games or if he... You know, if he signed it then too. So what's in it, what's in something, and the ownership of something determines the value of something on the market today. And you have been bought with a price. The apostle makes the point. He says, do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit? Who is in you? That's your content. Lives inside of you. It's what you, because of the Holy Spirit, you're capable of certain whom you've received from God. You are not your own. And here's the part that we should put on coffee mugs. You were bought at a price. You were bought at a price. And he continues, therefore honor God with your bodies. You know what your price was? It was a king. You know what your price was? The son of God. You know what your price was? God in the flesh. He loved you so much. He loved you so much, that's the price he was willing to pay. Isn't it true that you spend a lot of money on the things that are most valuable to you? And for many of you, probably the most expensive thing you own is your house because it provides shelter for you and it's very important to you. 
and you've spent a lot of money either purchasing it or building it or repairing it or whatever you've done with your house, you spend a lot of money there because it matters to you and it's important and it serves a purpose and that's great. And Paul says, don't you understand the value that you have? Don't you understand how precious you are in your heavenly Father's eyes? Don't you see the value that you have? Don't you see the price that was paid for you? Now that being the case, that he loved you so much that he was willing to give so much for you. Honor him with your body. Don't, don't, don't destroy them. Don't do the way he explains it. Unite them with a prostitute. Don't, don't, don't do that kind of stuff. Don't lie to yourself and say it's just physical. We know it's not. He says, honor God with your body. You're so immeasurably valuable. That's why romantic relational guardrails are important. So important for those of us that are married, for those of us that are single, because I know this is what I know. What you're doing in your life is far too important for you to be thrown off course just because you didn't put a guardrail. And if you think you're above reproach and you'll never fail, I'm sure David felt the same way. I'm sure there's plenty of other people that have felt the same way. The truth is, devil and temptation has a way of getting close like nothing else. And when it comes to this particular sexual sin, as it relates to this sin, it just gets a little close and it gets dangerous. So, we're going to get super practical for a moment. Two things that if you're married, I want you to do with your relational guardrails. And you could just tell me to screw off and I'm like, okay, cool. I won't say anything else. I won't talk to you about it anymore. These are just my suggestions. Ten years of marriage, these have worked in the ups and downs. Stuff I've seen actually learned from my mentor. The first thing, talk about it. Establish guardrails with your significant other. Establish guardrails with your spouse. Sit down and talk about it. Honey, how do you feel about this? Honey, what are some things that I need to do that would make you feel comfortable? What are some of the limits that you want me to have associated with her or him? What are some things that you are comfortable with? And here's something we don't ever talk about, but you need to set it up front because if you don't plan, you're planning to fail. How do you deal with problematic people? How do you deal with that guy who's keep trying to get lunch with you and you know his intentions aren't true? How, how, do, how do you deal with a problematic person that keeps trying to get that one-on-one meeting with you that you know it just something doesn't feel right? How do you deal with problematic people? The second thing is tell them about it. Talk to your spouse. Talk to your spouse when something happens, even if it's insignificant, even if it's unimportant. Sometimes Leah will tell me when she's like texting her ex because, you know, they, they just have talked to each other sometimes because they grew up in high school together. And sometimes I text my ex. But every time, she knows. Every time, I know. And having that guardrail in place, like we talk about it and we establish it. And I just want to communicate it, over-communicate it. I just want to let you know that all this is open. All this is open. Pay attention to it. Even if it seems small. Even if it seems small. So, talk about it and tell them about it. And here are, here are some personal guardrails that I put in place. Is I don't have communication with any ladies after 8 p.m. I just don't. And if I do, for whatever reason, if it's mission essential, uh, if it's related to the church, Leah's right there with me. I tell her, hey, somebody's texting me from the church. Or, hey, this is happening. If I'm responding, you can bet Leah's on the other end and she knows what's going on. 
And it's not that I'm untrustworthy, and she does the same thing for me. It's not that we're untrustworthy. They're guardrails. We want them in the safety zone before we go off-road. We don't want to do that. And another one is I won't have any private meals or meetings with ladies. I just won't. Now, I'll go to a restaurant and eat with them or go grab coffee with somebody, but a private meeting and a closed-door meeting, I don't do that. And some people go, come on, Brandon, that's so archaic. I mean, that's the, that's the Billy Graham rule. Doesn't that, doesn't that take women and put them in a category? No. Doesn't have to. Misapplied it will. Abused it absolutely will. But in the appropriate context, it won't. In the appropriate context, it helps. And Leah, in other parts, she has access to my phone at all times. Even though I have to tell her the password every time because she forgets But, or she grabs it, and that's one of those iPhones. She'll just take it, put it right in front of my face when I'm, like, reading a book or something. Okay, whatever. She has access to it all the time. And she never checks, she never, like, checks my messages or anything, or anything like that. But I just make sure it's completely open. And every so often, I'll tell her, hey, it's all, it's all open. Anything, it's all yours. Whatever you want to do. Because there are guardrails in place. Because I want to make sure. I, I even have a pastor friend. Who, who he's, he's in his 50s now. He doesn't have access to any of his Apple, um, the passwords to download an app on his phone. He doesn't even want that temptation. Not interested in it at all. Just go ahead and get it out of the way. That if he wants to add something to his phone, he's going to have to go and talk to his, his wife or somebody else, one of his friends in his men's group about it. The other thing I do, and this is going to be the one that gets probably the mo- one of the most pushback, is I limit my exposure to social media significantly. Up until this past week, it's been an hour until I really started paying attention, and then I realized it probably needs to go lower than that. And here's why. There's porn on Twitter, believe it or not. And if your kids have Twitter, they're exposed to it. They have the opportunity to look at it. The same thing is true for Instagram. The same thing is true for Reddit. The same thing is true for any of the streaming sites. So Twitch, if your kids have access to it, they can see it. And if you just found out about it and you go, Brandon, you can't say that, they'll find out about it. Boy, they are five steps ahead of us. Okay? Don't be like, a pastor told them. Like, no, they, no light bulb went off for your kids if they're already found out about it, all right? They're five steps ahead of us. But this is the thing. The algorithm works to make sure to get that type of consumable content in front of you and in front of your kids. So what I do is I make sure that I don't even have that stuff available. I, I just, I limit myself to where if I'm, I, I post and ghost, I'm in, I put a post up and then I scroll for a couple minutes, but then my phone will tell me across all social media platforms, all combined together, I had one hour and then my phone says, no, you're done. I'm like, okay, cool, that's what I'm gonna do. Because I don't need to be wandering around on there and neither do you, neither do you, neither do your kids. You start wandering around in there, you're going to find something else. Or the algorithm's going to put something in front of you. And now you've got to deal with it. So those are some of the personal guardrails that I have. And I know some of you sit back and go, Brandon, that is, that's extreme. You've got some extreme guardrails. I don't know if you know, but we're living in the 20, 21st century. We are not living in like the 17th century. I don't know what you're doing. But the truth is, um, you're right. They are extreme. Because, again, my marriage, my kids, they're far too important. Far too important. Far too important for me to go off the rails. Far too important. 
my job, my career, my calling in this church is far too important for me to not put in a guardrail. Even if I never bump up against it, it's far too important. My calling in life is far, far too important because dangerous environments call for extreme measure. When I was in Afghanistan, we wore body armor, and I carried my gun everywhere I went, even to the chow hall, even to the bathroom. Why? It's a dangerous environment. Bad things could happen at any point. And the Apostle Paul, in the very first week, we learned. He says the days are evil. It's a dangerous environment. And before you know it, if you're not careful, you're making compromises and you're allowing things to be part of your life that should never be part of your life. And let's be honest, married couples, what in culture, what in culture equips you to protect your marriage besides the church? That new HBO special doesn't. Neither does that new TV show on Netflix. That doesn't equip you for that. I mean, single, single people and teenagers, who or what equips you to live responsibly sexually besides the church? Who's setting your future up for success besides the church? It's nothing. Culture wants you to get right to the edge. To get as close as you can. Take the guardrail out. Just get real close, but hey, hey, don't cross the line. Stop it. You shouldn't cross the line. Don't cross the line. But I mean, you can get real close to that line. And then we get torn apart when we go over the line. The point is, and the point of this message, and the point I hope you take home, is that it's worth talking about to put relational guardrails in. It's worth talking about and figuring out how you're going to handle it. It's worth talking about with your kids about relational guardrails, romantic relational guardrails that they are going to put in as they grow older. Because ultimately, the question is, are we going to flee from it or flirt with it? The apostle teaching the church in Corinth says flee. And I believe we should do the same. So do you have guardrails in those areas? Let's pray.